In this episode, we're talking to Robert Stackpole, author of Divine Mercy, A Guide from Genesis to Benedict XVI. Robert, welcome. Thank you, Chris. It's good to be back on your program. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be able to talk about this one over a couple of the episodes because Divine Mercy is sort of the heart of a lot of our work here on the Hill and a lot of your work, I know, for the Institute. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, this is a, uh, and, and the book we're talking about is one that kind of summed up a lot of the research and stuff I've done over the years, so it was a, a real labor of love. Okay. How did you personally come to discover the Divine Mercy message and devotion? Well, it... I guess the person responsible is my wife. Uh, you know, I can blame her and thank her for everything. Um, she's a, a native Pole, and she was the one, uh, you know, who knew about St. Faustina and her devotion to the Divine Mercy from when she was a little girl. And she was the one who put it, put me on to Faustina when I was doing my doctoral research. I was doing a research in Rome on the theology of the Sacred Heart. And... Uh, my wife said, well, Faustina wrote about the heart of Jesus all the time. And uh, she gave me a copy of the diary. And there, you know, uh, there I read Faustina actually mentions the heart of Jesus, often the merciful heart of Jesus, over 200 times in her diary, including some of the most uh, famous passages, ones, ones that people know very well, Old Blood and Water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. So uh, it was really through my wife. Uh, in, that I, I learned first about Faustina. Okay. And let's, for everyone to know, I didn't mention, but you do have a doctorate in theology. You were Dr. Robert Stackpole of the Institute. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and the doctoral thesis was that exploration of the Sacred Heart. Faustina played a role in some of that research, it sounds like? Yeah, she did. I was looking at the notion of consoling the heart of Jesus, which we find in the spirituality of the Sacred Heart. And Father Michael Gately, as you know, wrote a book mm -hmm. uh, for Marian Press about consoling the heart of Jesus. Um, and so uh, you find that theme in various places in Faustina's diary, in particular in her novena meditations that were dictated to her by our Lord. Um, so uh, it was my interest in that which brought me to the, the broader topic, the yeah. broader theme of divine mercy. Okay. How did you start working with the Marian fathers? Oh, I got reeled in by uh, a wonderful... Uh, priest, Father George Kosicki, a uh, Brazilian priest who worked with the Marians for many, many years. He's a great, as you may know, a great divine mercy evangelist. Mm -hmm. um, and he was one of the two people, along with Father Seraphim, that worked uh, primarily in the translation of the diary of St. Faustina. Uh, and he was running in the late 1990s an apostolate for the Marians called Divine Mercy International. And while I was doing my research, I wrote to him about Faustina's devotion to the heart of Jesus. And he invited me to come to one of their, um, what they called fortnights of divine mercy, their training sessions, mm -hmm. not quite a fortnight, there were 12 days and nights, but close to it anyway, uh, where they trained uh, divine mercy leaders from all over the English speaking world. Mm -hmm. um, and so I came to Stockbridge to one of these and, and uh, by the time it was over, he was asking me if I would be part of uh, their team there. And, and in particular, working on the academic research involved. And, Divine Mercy. So I caught the bug in Stockbridge itself at a, at a, a Divine Mercy, a Fortnights of Divine Mercy conference. Cool. And there you also met Father Seraphim, I assume. Y you bet I did, yeah. yeah. And I uh, got to hear him speak about six times in, in, uh, in a week, which was mm -hmm. which is terrific. Hearing, hearing him speak on many aspects of the Divine Mercy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my relationship with him, I probably told you these, uh, these stories uh, 
but my my relationship with him was uh, just a terrific terrific and a memorable one because mm-hmm. when they brought me on to work on the academic side of the divine mercy uh, mission that stems from the national shrine of the divine mercy on eden hill um i needed some i needed some mentoring i needed some tutoring so uh, father sermon said well you know every time you come to the shrine and i come kind of for three or four weeks at a time mm-hmm. uh, i said every time you come to the shrine you come and meet me um after i'm done with my work because he was rector of the shrine mm-hmm. that time. So when i'm all done with my work as rector of the day you come and meet me in my office and uh i'll start to uh, give you tutorials on mm-hmm. uh, the divine mercy message devotion theology spirituality great you know yeah. one-on-one tutorials with with a man himself father seraphim the, the vice postulator of the cause canonization of saint faustina yeah but little did i realize when he first asked me that uh, he meant his work is usually done about 11 30 or 12 hmm. 11 30 p.m or 12 midnight mm-hmm. so that's when our daily tutorials would start they usually go from about 12 to three or four in the morning Oof. right and i would finish these you know just gathering in all sorts of wisdom from him but i would be completely wiped out mm-hmm. 3 30 4 o'clock and and i'd go to bed and sleep till 10 the next morning father seraphim would be up to say the 7 15 mass at the shrine uh, the next morning and and so I, I began to realize why people called him the energizer bunny yeah because you know he would just just like the energizer bunny on the commercials he would just go and go and go he was he was uh, you know following he was following the energy of his charism right yeah. uh unbelievable but uh, just such a memorable thing to be taught about all the um he just laid the foundation for all the work, many years of work i later do yeah. in scripture and the teachings of the saints about uh, the great merciful love of god okay but why was this such a compelling topic for you how did how did it move from your wife's recommendation of of the diary to your doctoral thesis to going to the fortnight like that's a commitment and that's a choice to go a lot deeper than most people will ever go you know chris i think it's a great question because i think like a lot of theologians mm-hmm. um when you're studying theology at a master's level or doctoral level yeah. there's so much coming at you right yeah the, the catholic faith is so huge and broad and deep and vast mm-hmm. so many holy mysteries you think what's the what's the where's the highest peak that i can yeah. stand on to get the best view of the lay of the land mm-hmm. right to kind of pull it all together and and tie all the threads together and what i found through through father kusicki through uh, father seraphim um, and through reading uh, faustina's diary that gosh a divine mercy is is like you know you know looking for that highest peak in the mountain range where you can see the whole mountain range mm-hmm. most clearly you know you get the best look of the lay of the land i'm not saying it's the only one yes yeah. there's, there's various ways to do you know catholic dogmatic and systematic theology but I, I think divine mercy is way up there on the list as a, a vantage point from which you kind of clarify and see how everything fits together because everything in the catholic faith really connects with god's merciful love mm-hmm. okay all right what's your strongest single memory of father seraph we law i don't know if people know listening to this we he passed away he died a year ago on february 11th so we're coming up on that anniversary as we're recording this podcast i think it'll probably air uh after after that anniversary but as we're talking now like what what kind of what memory of father seraphim really just leaps to mind whenever you hear his name i think father seraphim was um so comfortable in in moving 
uh, with the Divine Mercy Mission uh, that it led to many humorous situations. And there was one in my life, which I will never forget, because it happened at the canonization, on the canonization weekend of mm -hmm. St. Faustina herself in Rome. Father Seraphim led a, a kind of delegation from Stockbridge. It was actually a, a whole uh, pilgrimage mm -hmm. to uh, uh, St. Faustina sites in Poland and in Rome. And, and it culminated, of course, in the great canonization mass and mm -hmm. that was uh, celebrated by Pope St. John Paul II in St. Peter's Square, right? Well, Father Seraphim was, of course, going to be in, invited to con-celebrate that Mass mm -hmm. uh, because he was the vice postulate or the cause for her canonization. So the night before that Mass, he invited me uh, to come with him just on a walk uh, over to the over to the Vatican because he had to meet with the, uh, the Master of Ceremonies for the for that canonization mass and he said oh come with me for a walk you know we'll see saint peter's and the old flood lit at night beautiful sure you know so i walked with him and we went into the office of this polish monsignor who was uh supervising the the organization of the mass for the next day and he and father seraphim and this monsignor were talking in, in his office in polish and i was uh, just looking around the office and i saw a program for the mass sitting on the Monsignor's desk. And I started looking at the program and then I saw my name in it. And I thought, well, what's this? And I thought I was actually scheduled to read uh, the lesson from the, uh, the reading from the Acts of the Apostles for the canonization mass. Mm -hmm. And I said, Father Sarah, what is this? He said, oh gosh, I forgot to tell you. Yeah, I signed you up to be one of the readers for the, for St. Faustina's canonization to read one of the, the scripture readings for the mass. Yeah. So needless to say, I got zero night's sleep that night. <laughs> and uh, it was a great thrill, a wonderful thrill to be part of it. But yeah. I often think to myself, what if he, what if he never told me? Yeah. You know, would there have been this big pause, you know, and Pope John Paul looking around saying, where's that stackball guy to read the Acts of the Apostles? <laughs> yeah, Jesus takes care of the details. <laughs> he does. And that's a that's a good way to sum up Father Seraphim, right? He was... Uh, he was going on some major tracks, right? And, mm -hmm. and he, he just said, you know, the Lord will take care of the details. Yeah. Well, and and I want to go back a bit. You meant when you when you were describing that story, you said lesson first, which is a very Anglican kind of way of talking it, about the readings at Mass. I don't. It did. People, I stumbled into my old Anglican Ang, Anglican speak. If people don't know, you you were a convert from Anglicanism into the Catholic faith. I did. I mean. And and uh, what a, what a journey from the Anglican priesthood to your reading one of the readings at the canonization of Faustina in Saint Peter, <laughs> like that's yeah. a huge <laughs> really, and to make arc. the journey even to make the journey even more awesome. I'm the son of a Protestant preacher, a mm -hmm. Dutch Reformed Church, the Reformed Church in America, from the Dutch heritage, right? So mm -hmm. you know, from uh, PK preacher's kid. Mm -hmm. uh, to Anglican priests, to Catholic lay theologian. And I should say that and it's, I, I really never left behind the things that were mm -hmm. part of that journey, right? That a lot of what my dad taught me always stayed very with me. And, I, and I, there was perhaps no theological tradition that more heavily influences me now than the Anglo-Catholic heritage that I had, that I was, I was trained in. So it, it's a, it was a matter of adding more mixes to the uh, to the cake batter, really, than uh, you know, of, of uh, putting aside something and moving on to something else. Now it's like, yeah, um, it's the, the uh, divine mercy is part of it all. So has has this been? Uh, I think a lot of people associate sort of liberal Catholicism with Episcopalianism or Anglicanism as sort of a similar 
school these days. It's not it's not completely true. There's the different high church, low church, the different evangelical and not and so forth in mm-hmm. Anglicanism. But but in, a, in really broad strokes, kind of that um, perhaps a a misunderstanding of mercy arising out of the last century's cultural woes. Is there a sense yeah. of a journey in your life from kind of leaving behind false mercy, coming to a true understanding of divine mercy? Is that a fair read of that journey? Yeah, although it, it, I, I didn't, I, I know, I know what you mean by false mercy. There's an idea that uh, mercy is not really connected with truth. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of affirming people whatever they want to do. Whatever. It's kind yeah. of an adolescent understanding of, of love and mercy, right? Um, and, you know, mercy, in order to be merciful to someone, you have to have compassion and seek their good, but you mm-hmm. can't seek their good unless you know what it is, Yeah. right? And that takes a deeply understanding the truth. Well, uh, in a nutshell, the, the Episcopal Church in the United States, the, the Anglican mainstream in the Anglican Church has gone very liberal, if you will, and, and that tends to uh, fall into that trap, that kind of false mercy trap. Um, but I, I didn't, uh, that was really uh, you were, something yeah. that, that was part of more part of my upbringing. Okay. And when I became an Anglican, I was actually attracted to Anglicanism because of its orthodox wing, let's mm-hmm. say, um, traditional high church or Anglo, Anglo-Catholic mm-hmm. um, thing. And that's always been and still is very much a part of me. Uh, and so I, in some ways as an Anglican, I was reacting against that. And, Interesting. And uh, okay. becoming a Roman Catholic was, was building more on that foundation. Okay. Uh, very much uh, like John Henry Newman's journey, you might say as he outlined it at the end of his uh, book, The Apologia Pro Vita Sua, The Apology for My Life, as, mm-hmm. as he wrote. Um, he talks, uh, as a little, in the appendix, there's a section there about things he was grateful for, for uh, mm-hmm. to Anglicanism. And amongst them was introducing to all the basics of the creed, the Nicene Creed, that, that the Anglicans recite at every communion service and are supposed to believe, uh, but sometimes don't. Okay. That's fascinating. So it is it is that sort of arc, but it's even longer than I had guessed at earlier. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Okay. Yeah, and and in Catholicism, we do depend upon you know our great teachers of mercy for a more accurate understanding of divine mercy, because the same temptations <laughs> exist within the Catholic Church. One of the greatest theologians of mercy, I think we'd both say, is probably Father Michael Sapochko who had been such an influential confessor for St. Faustina and so important to all of this work of divine mercy. Uh, How much of the book that we're discussing was inspired or influenced by the work of Blessed Michael Sapochko? Well, if um, people read the book, Divine Mercy, A Guide from Genesis to Benedict the 16th, they'll find chapters on the the reflections on mercy of a number of saints, including the life and witness of St. Faustina. And in that chapter, uh, they'll find that I quote the recollections of Father Sapochko several times. In fact, I really tell the, the life story of St. Faustina almost from his perspective. Mm-hmm. So from a very early, early on and in my tutorials with Father Seraphim that we talked about, uh, he introduced me to the role that Father Sapochko played in the biography, if you will, mm-hmm. of St. Faustina in her life story. Of course, he was her spiritual director and crucial role. But what I'm discovering more and more in, in recent years is what a tremendous theologian he was in his own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't, he wasn't just her, uh, her great spiritual director and used by our Lord to propagate divine mercy, but he actually took upon himself, he had two doctorates in theology, uh, and he took upon himself the task of uh, really laying the groundwork for a whole theology of mercy 
Uh, you and I all know this, but your listeners won't yet, that, that we're both working on a book, mm-hmm. uh, a short book written by Father Sapolsko, which has been translated by the Marians from uh, Polish into English called God is Mercy, mm-hmm. Meditations on God's Most Consoling Attribute mm-hmm. by uh, Blessed Father Michael Sapolsko. And that little book is like the Reader's Digest version of a huge thing he wrote, four volumes, called The Mercy of God in His Works. Mm-hmm is magnum opus, which is just as broad and vast and deep as the title suggested. Mm-hmm. It looks at divine mercy in every aspect of the scriptures and every aspect of the Catholic faith. It's mm-hmm. an amazing thing. So yeah. that's kind of one in my work, what I'm digging into, starting to more and more now. So I'm beginning to appreciate Father Sapolsko from a whole new and additional angle. Yeah. He's uh, he's an awesome an awesome uh, blessed, uh, and no doubt one day will be okay. named a saint, uh, saint, I guess, in God's good time. Do, do you know if Seraphim ever was in direct contact with him? Uh, you know, I don't know that. Um, okay. I don't know that. Top is that he died uh, in 1976. Mm-hmm. And uh, Father Seraphim would have been working on the diary at that time. Yeah. Um, well, and so I'm, but I don't, he, you know, he, I, I don't remember him telling me stories of talking okay. with Father Sapolsky or anything. So if he probably had connection with him, but not a yeah. lot of in-depth personal connection. Otherwise, he would have uh, told me. But uh, yeah. whether he actually met him or not, I just don't know. Okay. Yeah, I know that the Marian Helper magazine, the Marian Helper Bulletin, had published pieces, um, maybe a series or two, by Father Sapochko that Father Sapochko had written around that time. I don't know if it was a reprint from something that he'd published in Poland or what, but there was some sort of interactions with the Marians um, throughout. And you know what, as I think about it, Chris, I'm connecting the dots in my head. Of course, he must have met him personally, because of Mm -hmm. course the Marians had this contact with him, right, for for many years, but he must have met him personally because Father Seraphim went over and got the copy of the diary, yeah. right, and smuggled it out, smuggled it out of Poland. So uh, Father Sabashko must have been involved in that uh, effort. I, I can't believe that they, you know, they didn't uh, touch base when <laughs> Father Seraphim was there. And uh, perhaps he was a collaborator in, the, yeah. uh, in that whole process. Well, Ed, maybe maybe we should mention just how the Marians got Divine Mercy in the first place, the the connection with Father Joseph Trzebowski and Father Spochko, can you can you do a quick explanation of that? Yeah, b- briefly, and then the story's told in Divine Mercy, a guide, and the mm-hmm. chapter there about uh, Saint Faustina. Um, basically, Father Spochko, um, you know, Faustina died just before the start of World War II, and during World War II, Father Spochko was hunted by the Gestapo. He had to um, hide out in a convent in Poland, right? And and he pretended to be a gardener, living and working as a gardener at a convent, because the Gestapo was out to get him. And the Gestapo was also out to get a, a Marian priest by the name of Father Joseph Yarzabowski. Uh, and Father Yarzabowski was going to make an escape uh, from Poland uh, to his confreres, his Marian confreres in the United States. But he had learned all about St. Faustina and the message of devotion to the Divine Mercy from Father Sobosko. Um, some of it while Father Sobosko was in hiding. And so uh, Father Sobosko gave him lots of documents and things about Divine Mercy. And Father Yarzabowski promised God, he said, you know, if I make it to uh, my confreres in the United States safely, I'll spend the rest of my life um, spreading the message and devotion uh, that uh, the Lord had given to St. Faustina, right? And of course, the 
I guess the thing is, be careful what promises you make to the Lord, because he, he just might take you up on them. And you know how the story goes. He, Father Yosovovsky, had no proper traveling documents, visas and things, but he made it across by train, I believe, across uh, communist Russia uh, into fascist Japan. And uh, by a miracle, he got his papers uh, uh, stamped just in time to get on a boat to the United States before he'd be stuck in Japan. And he did make it to the United States in, in, in 1941, uh, before, that, you know, before the war erupted with Japan. Right. And uh, it was Father Yarzabowski who um, helped plant the Marian's Divine Mercy Mission on Eden Hill in Stockbridge in the 1940s, uh, right before the end of the Second World War. Yeah. So something good did come out of that huge conflict. <laughs> yeah, you bet. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so talk to me about one of the more misunderstood points of Divine Mercy. How are Divine Mercy and Divine Justice? two sides of the same reality. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, this is one of the most difficult uh, uh, questions that people have asked me over the years, and and I wrestled with it for a long time and, and wrote a book, as you know, called Divine Mercy and Divine Justice, uh, which was published a couple of years ago. People can find it on Amazon. Um, it's, it's so misunderstood, and people get polarized in the church on this topic, too. In fact, I'm going to steal a, a quote from the book, about it here, just because I think it'll say better than me saying, trying to say this off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, you, you'll, uh, what I wrote here in the book here is, is like the beginning of what I wrote in the longer book called mm -hmm. Divine Mercy, Divine Justice, the seed of it. Here's what I, what I wrote. In the church today, much of liberal dissident theology denies the justice in the sense of the penal justice of God. There is no hell, there's no purgatorial punishment, nor does God ever chastise anyone in this life nor is anything owed to God on the scales of justice because of our sins. It follows that Jesus may have done great things for us, but he didn't need to die for our sins in the sense of paying the penalty for them on our behalf or making satisfaction for them. On the other hand, much of conservative traditionalist Catholicism falls into the trap of seeing God's mercy and justice as two distinct sides of his character, as if he has a split personality. The trick is to activate and respond to his good side and avoid his bad side. Even in this life, however, we could begin to see that God's justice is occasional chastisements of us in this life and his purgatorial punishments of us in the next are also at one and the same time expressions of his mercy toward us. If he sometimes, sometimes chastises us by permitting us to suffer, it's only to wake us up and summon us back to repentance and faith as Hebrews 12, 6 says, those whom the Lord loves, he chastises. And purgatory is not just a place of temporary punishment for half-repented sin. It's also at the same time a purging that mercifully sanctifies, sanctifies and heals the soul and prepares us for heaven. See Catechism 1030. Most of all, the cross of Jesus Christ, as John Paul II clearly taught, is the supreme exposition of both the mercy and the justice of God at one and the same time. As he says in his encyclical, Vives in this misericordia, rich, rich in mercy. So a lot of these mysteries of the mercy, we, of, of mercy in, in uh, the Catholic faith, we can look at them and say, well, from one, from one perspective, we can see God is fulfilling the demands of justice on the cross. Christ makes the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But on the other hand, his motive 
And the main reason he's doing it, and what drives him, of course, is his merciful love for the human race. Mm -hmm. His merciful love doesn't overthrow the demands of justice or cast them aside. It fulfills them, but goes, as St. Thomas says, it fulfills them, but goes way beyond mercy. Now, of course, that's a mystery we can't fully fathom, because as human beings, we can't fully pull that off. Yeah. Uh, but God, in the mystery of his nature, is, is, as the Catholic faith says, he's ultimately very simple, yep. right? All his divine all his divine attributes are all connected. They're all interwoven so that everything he does at one and the same time is an expression of his power, of his goodness, of his wisdom, of his justice, of his mercy all at once, right? It's it's an amazing mystery about God, but that's the amazing, what we call, it's actually what we call the glory of God, mm-hmm. the shining out of all his perfections at once. And the truth is those perfections all shine out together in everything he does. Yeah. Okay. And it, this kind of, this really does tie back to what we were talking about earlier of kind of the arc of your theological life, uh, the arc of your conversion to a certain extent, and but also just some of the main, uh, I suppose the main troubles of the last couple hundred years in the church, from Jansenism on the extreme end of justice to a certain extent, through mm-hmm. to kind of 60s soft, squishy, all is well, nothing is wrong, false mercy yeah, yeah um, i'm okay you're okay so it's tough yeah and then the course correction faustina provides john paul ii provides benedict provides that we continue to kind of work into the fabric of the the, the church um are we almost yeah it's, we it's, almost it's the churches i think in the holy spirit the churches i think gk chesterton said this the church has mm-hmm. always been walking a tightrope yeah Right, and uh, that's because the truth is such a precious thing. You can you can fall off that tightrope one mm-hmm. way or the other, yeah. right? So easily, and that's what ultimately heresy does, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, heresies are often half truths. Yeah, <laughs> they're not totally wrong. Yeah. They're just half truths. The, the 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 trapeze artist or you know the tightrope walker mm-hmm. has fallen off on one side or the other. They have to get back and keep the wild, yeah. incredible truth uh, balanced. And okay. uh, whole and rich, and just as rich as it was delivered through Christ to the apostles. So, in light of that, and in light of in light of the work of proclaiming true divine mercy theology, true theology being the corrective to false theology, and orthodoxy being the corrective to heresy. What's the thesis statement for divine mercy? A guide. Ah, okay. Um, I, I guess the central idea is that is, is what we spoke about before that. Um, the, the central idea uh, of the Catholic faith is, is God's merciful love is behind everything he does and mm-hmm. all that he is. Now, in a, cer- in a certain sense, that's a trite statement because you can say, well, well so is God's wisdom, so is mm-hmm. God's power. And so, yeah, but mercy is, if you will, the motive behind it all. Mm-hmm. And St. Bernard of Clairvaux has this wonderful statement, which Father Seraphim taught me, actually. Um, his quote says, Mercy is the causiest cause of all causes. That's the, you know, we think of in Catholic uh, philosophical tradition, God is the first cause. Yes. Yeah. You know, the one who creates everything, holds everything in being. But um, St. Bernard got behind that and he said, what's the motive of that cause? He mm-hmm. said, the causiest cause of all causes is God's merciful love. Yeah. Um, so that's what I was trying to show by going through the Old and New Testament, giving a kind of a helicopter overview of the theme of mercy in the scriptures in this book, and then going through the saints, uh, 
St. Augustine, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Therese, the Little Flower, St. Francis, uh, right through up to St. Faustina and uh, John Paul II, um, going through them all and showing how um, in, in their thought and in their life, uh, mm -hmm. divine mercy was the, um, they were tapped into the motive behind all that God does. Okay. Why is the message of divine mercy so important for our present time specifically? I think it's, the, as John Paul said, on the anniversary of Faustina's uh, canonization, Rome and his homily, it's, it's the remedy for the needs of our time mm -hmm. in a very special way. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to look, to read the newspaper, watch the news, keep abreast of things and realize that Western civilization uh, is crumbling all around us. Mm -hmm. Not that everything is going wrong, but a whole lot of things are, right? Uh, and gosh, abortion, divorce, suicide, materialism, uh, moral relativism, relativism, people giving their lives for consumer goods, the, the, the loss of uh, rising violence, right? The, the loss of any sense of God centering in the love of Christ, um, the spread of apostasy. Mm -hmm. We could go down the list, you know, on and on and on, right? Um, and the thing is that what the world needs more than anything else is hope. Mm -hmm. And according to St. John Paul II, uh, the foundation of our hope is that there is a God of merciful love. Uh, that's the basis of hope. And, and now I, I think we can see that more and more today at the stark contrast. People put their false hopes, and well, education is the key, or technology is the key. Right? As long as we've got technology going, we're okay. As long as we've got a good education system, okay. As long as you know we've, we've got uh, left-wing economics or right-wing economics, whatever, that's the key, right? Now, all those things are important in their place. Yeah. Uh, but when it comes right down to it, when everything's crumbling around, what's our ultimate basis for hope? that there is a God of merciful love, that mm -hmm. he won't let go of us, that he'll keep seeking us and finding us. Um, it, it, John Paul II uh, said this so many times in his pontificate at the beatification of St. Faustina. He said that one thing believers understand, he said in his homily, is that divine mercy is the foundation of all their hope. Mm -hmm. right? And again, when he was at St. Faustina's tomb in 1977, at the convent of Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy in, in uh, just outside of Krakow in Poland. Uh, he said, uh, there's nothing that man needs more than divine mercy. I'm paraphrasing him now. He said that it's in divine mercy that we can turn to find comfort and the light of hope. And uh, gosh, the last, the, the third place where he said that, mm -hmm. and it's sh shown out most of all, people may have forgotten that St. John Paul II consecrated the whole world to divine mercy on the threshold of the new millennium in 2002. So just when thing, things were really starting to get dark, yeah. he was uh, lighting the beacon, mm -hmm. right, in the darkness for divine mercy. And again, the, the central message of his address there, which is covered, I, I give a long extract from that address at his consecration, of the, of the world to divine mercy. The central message is all our hope, as Faustina said, is founded in divine mercy. I think we'll, we will definitely have to do at least one more episode on this book, um, especially given how much you cover in it. But as sort of the final wrap-up, which figure that you focus on in the book um, do you find most interesting or 
or where you think that their contributions on divine mercy have, have largely been neglected or untapped? Yeah, uh, besides um, Blessed Father Michael Spotko, who, um, you know, who uh, you and I are working mm -hmm. on now, right? Getting more of their, his stuff out there in English. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also got a, a prayer book written, uh, a book of prayers written by Father Spotko, which we're translating now mm -hmm. into English. So we'll have that coming down the pike too. So in addition to Father Spotko, the other um, saint of the church, who I think whose mercy perspective uh, is something I'm, I just kind of discovered in the la over the last decade of dipping into it is one we mentioned before, a St. Bernard of Clairvaux. When I wrote the first edition of Divine Mercy, a guide, I didn't have a chapter on him in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that from Father Seraphim that he had this wonderful quote about God's mercy being the cause of, cause of all causes, yeah. but I hadn't explored him further. And for the second ed edition of the book, uh, then I got uh, deeply into his thought, his uh, his meditations on the Song of Songs, mm -hmm. uh, his treatises on the love of God. These are deeply enriched in mercy. And uh, I'll just give two teasers for the next time uh, we can talk, Chris. And that's, uh, he has two wonderful principles. Yeah. One, the primacy of grace. The other of what he calls infusion and mm -hmm. effusion. The infusion of grace preceding the effusion of grace. Just there's so much rich stuff about God's mercy in yeah. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, but this will have to be one of those tune in tune in next time yeah. sort of moments, I think, on your, on your program. <laughs> do you think that there's a final question, because this just hit me. Do you think there's a connection in – he's a great doctor of the church, but he's most famous, I think, as a Marian doctor, as a, as a teacher on the Blessed Virgin. Is there a mm -hmm. connection between that rich Marian devotion – and his thought on divine mercy. Like, do you see these two things come together in theologians and saints? Uh, yeah, they do. Uh, you know, certainly with with um, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, he talks about Mary as being the aqueduct of the graces of the, of the merciful love of God. And if you think he he lived in Clairvaux in, in uh, um, kind of central and southern uh, France and that part of the world, there are lots of Roman aqueducts still around, right? These ginormous aqueducts that brought water for the great Roman cities, the Roman Empire, from the mountains, mm -hmm. from the Alps, down into the cities. And so he visually knew what a, a great aqueduct, an aqueduct wasn't just a little pipe. You know, we sometimes think an aqueduct is, you know, you're redirecting a stream with a little pipe, but no, this is a, a massive structure, bringing massive amounts of water mm -hmm. from the Alps to uh, bring fresh water to the cities. So his image of her was as the uh, one through whom, by the choice of God, all graces come mm -hmm. to souls. Uh, and that plays a huge part in, in his thought, and I think ultimately the divine mercy theology of the church. Okay. Which makes it very providential that the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary have been entrusted with divine mercy in a special way. Yeah, how about that, huh? <laughs> All right. Give give our listeners a final, you know, just a quick couple of practical things. You want to learn more about divine mercy. You want to practice the divine mercy. Where do they get started? Uh, gosh, to get started, the Marians have a, a, a whole whole bunch of resources. Um, let me just uh, say, for many people, the be the best place to get started is not in Faustina's diary. Um, surprisingly enough, although that's not always true. Some mm -hmm. people have picked up the diary and found it wonderful, but a lot of people pick it up, as you know, Chris, and, and think they're going to read a biography, an autobiography, like, uh, say, like St. Therese's Little Flowers, uh, yeah. a story of a soul, but it's not like that at all. Um, it's um, 
not only say random reflections, but non-chronological mm-hmm. reflections on the verse of yeah. God. Um, and, and, it's, and it's huge, and, and they can kind of easily get lost in it. So I would suggest uh, picking uh, some of the pamphlets that the Marians have, or they're not pamphlets, they're booklets, mm-hmm. um, like Father Michael Gately's one, Divine Mercy Explained, okay. um, where in you know, 40 or 50 pages, I think, he gives you an overview of just who St. Faustina is and what, what's, what's all this about Divine Mercy anyway, mm-hmm. kind of answers the question. And the same thing in a slightly longer booklet yeah. the Marians have which is simply called The Divine Mercy, Message and Devotion. Mm-hmm. Um, the Marians know it by its code name amongst all their publications, M17. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it sounds like James Bond, right? Yeah. Uh, but this is the M17 booklet. Mm-hmm. And those are great places to start because they not only uh, introduce you to her life story, yeah. uh, but also to all the basics of the message and even the, the prayers that are formed, the central nucleus of, of uh, really beginning to open our hearts in a mm-hmm. deeper way to God's merciful love. Yeah, and I know that Father Chris Aylar just recently had his understanding of divine mercy that mm-hmm. I think and, we put out a year or two ago. Um, and and I, that would be a great, I think, second step. Well, mm-hmm. Same with Divine Mercy, a guide, the one we're talking, you're mm-hmm. interviewing me about today. Uh, that one's a uh, not a first step. Mm-hmm. That would be a, a second step after, after you know the real basics. And then you know, Chris Aylar's book or my book, Divine Mercy, a guide, would be great uh, next steps from there. All right. Thanks so much, Robert. It's always a pleasure to talk. Okay, great to talk to you, Chris, and looking forward to next time. Yeah, we've been discussing Divine Mercy, a guide from Genesis to Benedict XVI by Dr. Robert Stackpole, the director of the John Paul II Institute for Divine Mercy. To order Divine Mercy, a guide from Genesis to Benedict XVI, please visit shopmercy.org. This has been Sparks of Mercy. Thanks for listening. Pray for me. I'll pray for you. Jesus, I trust in you. I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Thank you.